If you're here with your kids today and they're not already downstairs on the fifth floor for Children's Church, then you can uh, certainly take them down and, and uh, let them join with the other kids that are, that are there. We're certainly, certainly thankful for our volunteers who help us in Sunday School and Children's Church. Uh, this church is just not quite the same without all your kids here to join with us together in the house of God. So, amen. Praise God for his goodness uh, and his mercy and love. Today, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go back into the book of Genesis, which we have spent some considerable time, as we've spoken on the topic, family matters. Family matters. And ever since the beginning, all the way back in Genesis, whether we're talking about Jacob or Esau, or Isaac, or Abraham, or even beyond them, into the beginning of time, like a man named Adam. From the very beginning, we've always experienced in life, family matters. And I can guarantee you, whatever you're going through today as a family is not brand new. We've been going through these things since the beginning of time. And praise God, our God is still the same. Amen? He's still faithful. He's still able to lead us and to teach us and to bring us through all the trials and tribulations of life. Today I want to speak to you in a sermon titled, Jacob's Journey. And today we're going to look at several verses over a big part of Jacob's life. So we're going to read a couple of verses from different chapters of Genesis, but at least to start off today, our main text that we want to read from today is Genesis chapter 35. And I'm going to read today from verse 19 until the, the very first phrase of verse 21. So we'll call it from verse 19 to verse 21a, because it'll just be the first part of that verse. And when you find that, would you please stand with me? Genesis chapter 35, beginning at verse 19. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed. And we'll end there. Praise God. You may be seated. Jacob's journey. Just to pick up from last week, we talked about Jacob and Esau, and we talked about that story how Jacob, by the orders of his mother, deceived his father into pre in pretending he was Esau to receive the great blessing that God had for this family. And we read about how he deceived his father and he gained that blessing and then everything was turned in upside down because now Esau was so angry at Jacob he wanted to kill him. And so Rebekah said to Jacob, son, you've got to go. Get out and run away. Go to my family's house where I'm from, the, the area of Paddan Aram. Go there, get away from Esau, spend some time there, and find a wife from my family that is in Paddan Aram. And so Jacob took off and went all by himself, traveling all the way to this far country. And the Bible says that on the way, he came to a place, the sun was setting, and he chose to take a rest and to sleep. And in that night, he had a dream, a dream of a, a staircase or a ladder that stretched from the earth all the way up to heaven. And angels were ascending and descending upon the ladder. 
And in his dream, he saw the Lord standing at the top of the ladder. And in that dream, the Lord promised Jacob, I will be with you. I am taking you to this place. I will be with you and be your God, and I will also bring you back. I will be faithful to you, Jacob. And Jacob woke up, suddenly thinking it was his dream that he had, and he set up a pillar. He called the place Bethel, which meant the house of God. And now God has prepared him for the journey, the journey that would begin by going all the way to Paddan Aram. It would begin there, but it would also be a lifelong journey that Jacob just set out on. And on this journey that he is on, God is going to lead him and God is going to teach him. It's a journey that Jacob would also share with the love of his life, and that is Rachel. Theirs is one of the greatest love stories in all the Bible, the love story of Jacob and Rachel. In fact, in Jewish poetry, it is written that while Jacob was a wrestler in his relationships with men, it was Rachel who conquered and pinned Jacob. And only Rachel could have done that. Jacob loved Rachel. And so now on Jacob's journey, let's follow along on this journey and see how the Lord worked in his life and also in Rachel's life and the lessons that they both had to learn in life. We begin with number one, Jacob's journey. It began in love. In love. Meaning that he's about to meet Rachel. And so in Genesis chapter 29, we have the story of how Jacob met Rachel. And so let's just go over the beginning of this journey, the journey in love. Genesis 29 verse 1 and 2 says that after Bethel, so Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. Now when Jacob arrived in this area of Paddan Aram, the very first thing he saw was this well. The well was a, probably a big well and it had a very large stone covering the top of it. And, and he also noticed that there were at least three flocks of sheep around the well. And there were shepherds and there were workers watching over the sheep. It was early in the day and the workers were all there waiting for all the flocks to come in from their fields and all the shepherds to come. And then when everybody was there, they could get a group of people together, remove that big stone, and then everybody would drink at the same time. They probably did it this way because if you keep moving the stone back and forth, it may be that dust and dirt keep falling down into the water. And so, for whatever reason, they were waiting for someone to come so that they could get the group together to move that stone off the mouth of the well. Here comes Jacob, a stranger to them. And in the story of chapter 29, he's not afraid to approach these men and to ask them questions. Although these men didn't really seem to care about Jacob at all. They gave him very short, uninterested replies to his questions. But Jacob, who wasn't shy in conversation, and he also wasn't shy about giving out orders, he was wondering why all these flocks of sheep are here. It's early in the day. Why are you not watering them and getting them out to work? There's plenty of daytime. It's time to go to work. 
Jacob was not a man of laziness at all. And so he said to them in many words, Men, isn't it early? Water the sheep and go back to work. And their reply was basically, No, we're not going to. We have to wait for everybody to get here and then we can water them. Someone can move that stone, we can water them, and then we'll be on our way. And the Bible says, after this conversation with the men, it says in verse 9 and 10 that while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came. Rachel came with her father's sheep. She was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother. Let's stop right there for a moment. So in the story of Jacob going to Paddan Aram, the very first thing he sees is a well. But the second thing he sees is his wife, his future wife, of course, which is Rachel, the shepherdess. And you'll notice in that story how Jacob is so talkative. There are all kinds of conversation going on between Jacob and the men. And when you read the story, it says, and Jacob said, and they said. Then Jacob said, then they replied. Then Jacob said, then they said, and on and on it went. But when Jacob saw Rachel, he was silent. Silent. Jacob was now a man lost for words. And then Jacob did what all men seem to do. He tried to impress Rachel. How so? He saw her come in with her flock of sheep, and he by himself went to the well, and with his strong arms and his rough, tough hands, he moved the stone away all by himself. And not only did he do that, probably to impress her, but then he himself took all the sheep and watered the sheep of Rachel. He's a gentleman. He's strong, and he's a gentleman. It was all about Rachel. From the moment he saw Rachel, everyone else just disappeared around him. The men, their sheep, everything else was just out of mind. It's now all about Rachel and taking care of her. And again, in this story, there's still no talking going on. Still no talking, and he approaches Rachel. Now Jacob is strong enough to move this big stone off a well, but he is so weak to say a word in front of Rachel. But with his trembling hands, he reaches out to her, and the Bible says that Jacob kissed Rachel, and he lifted up his voice and wept. Now why do you think he wept? Notice that in the story, it wasn't Rachel weeping, it was Jacob weeping. Why? What made him weep? When I read the story, I, I think there's two reasons, at least two reasons why Jacob is now weeping. And the first one is this. This may be perhaps one of those rare cases of what is called love at first sight. You know what that's like? Husbands, is that the way it was for you when you first met your wife? You know, I have young people in our church, and it always comes to this question. Pastor Heath, is it true, is it possible that someone can be in love at first sight 
Is that even something that really happens? And I'm always careful with what I say. Because on the one hand, I always try to encourage all our young people, be careful with your feelings. Be careful. Because if you're not, that feeling that you think is love can just go crazy, and all of a sudden, the whole world just falls away except for this person. And you'll end up neglecting God, you'll neglect church, you'll neglect school, everything else just for this one person. We need to be careful. And so while I always encourage our young people, no matter what you feel about a person, always put it to prayer. God, God, is this right? God, does this make sense in your eyes? Always be willing to ask God what he thinks and be willing to do what God says. On the other hand, when I met my wife, it was love at first sight. <laughs> so what do I know? Oh, I can remember, I can remember. You know, on my phone, I don't have it with me and I wish I could show it to you. On my phone, I have an old home video that my brother took. And the month was May and the year was 1999. It's one month before we got married. And the home video, some of it is my wife at the refrigerator. She's getting a drink, and then she turns around. And when I saw it, I thought, oh, my goodness, I remember that. I remember how I felt when I first saw that face. And so many times I say, here, look, and I, I make it in slow motion. And then I stop the film right as she turns around, and oh, look at that beauty. I still look at my wife today, and I think, wow how beautiful my wife is. And just to prove to you, it really was love at first sight. Over about eight months of that feeling in my heart, we weren't dating, I'd never talked to her, I was too scared, but I kept praying about her and praying for her until the day finally came where we actually got together and talked and then we sort of had our first date. And on that first date, we were so sure that God brought us together, that I said to her, when we get married, because we are, where would you like to go for, your, for our honeymoon? And she said, how about Walt Disney World? And I said, okay. And I kept my promise. We were in Disney the very next year after our wedding. How many of you, men or ladies, felt the same way about your wife? It happens. Maybe not often, but it does happen. So on one hand, I think Jacob believed with all of his heart, I just met my wife. And it brought him to tears. It brought him to tears, and those tears, in those tears, he became a man that was just melting in the presence of the one he loved. The other reason may be this that God was so good to Jacob in spite of Jacob. God was so good to him in spite of him. Do you remember what Jacob just did to his own family? Do you remember how he just treated his brother? How he just treated his father? And now he's on the run to get out of there? Do you know what Jacob is like, the deceiver, the liar, the one who tries to push other people out of the way so that he can move forward? Yes, that Jacob. God has been faithful to him, has brought him all the way to Paddan Aram, and just introduced him to the love of his life. And I think when Jacob realized how good 
God has been, it brought him to tears. Husbands, do you realize how good God has been to you? Do you ever look at your wife and say, God, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but I just thank you for giving me my wife. You ever think that way? Does it ever bring you to tears? Well, it did for Jacob. And Rachel, Rachel started out that morning doing something that she did every day, taking the flock of sheep to a well. But on this day, she had no idea when she arrives at the well that her husband is there waiting for her. And so at this well, God led Rachel there and God led Jacob there. God is good. And he led both of them on this journey. He remained, Jacob, he remained with the family for a month, working with her father, Laban. Laban was a hard man, a tough man, a deceiving kind of guy, just like Jacob. And so Jacob, dealing with Laban, sort of got a taste of his own medicine. But Jacob worked with Laban for at least a month, taking care of the flocks that Rachel was taking care of. And all the while, this love relationship between Jacob and Rachel is being cultivated. And Jacob, more than anything else, just wanted to marry this girl. And so Laban came to Jacob and he said, Jacob, what would you like from me? You've been working for me. What would you like? And there's only one thing Jacob wanted. He said, I'll have Rachel to be my wife. Now in Jacob's day, you don't just go to a man and say, hey, I want to marry your daughter. You go with a price to be paid. It's called redemption. In their days, you would redeem your wife. You would buy her, purchase her. Now, it wasn't like she was a piece of property being sold one way or another because the parents of the bride could refuse a man and say, no, we're not selling her. We're not going to give her away. We don't care what you give. But oftentimes, a man, as a sign of gratitude, as a sign that I'm going to give to you a present in return for you to give me my future wife, Jacob said, in so many words, I want to redeem your daughter at a great price. Now this price that he would pay, Jacob wasn't going to offer money. He wasn't going to offer livestock. He wasn't going to offer jewelry. Jacob was ready to give himself, to give himself in order to redeem Rachel. And so the men came into an agreement that Jacob will work for Laban for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, he can marry Rachel. And for seven years, it was difficult, it was a demanding job, but the Bible says that for Jacob, it seemed like just a few days because he loved Rachel so much. Seven years to you and I, that's, that's a fairly long time, especially for a man and a woman to wait in order to marry each other. That's a long, long time. But for Jacob, he loved her so much, it seemed just like a few days gone by. Have you ever thought to yourself, married couples here today, have you ever thought to yourself, where has time gone? I mean, I think about my family, 
My wife and I have been married for 22 years. In that time, we've had four daughters. We lived in two parts of the world now. Our oldest daughter is off in her career. Our second daughter is off somewhere else going to college, and we still have two girls at home who are still growing really fast. Have you ever stopped to wonder, where is the time gone? 22 years is gone in a moment, in a flash. And maybe that's you today, and if you're like me, now I say, oh, I want time to slow down. Time needs to slow down because now I realize how fast things are. They go so fast for us men because we love our wives. We love being married to them. We love the life that we have with them. We love seeing children and having those children grow and all the excitements and all the adventures that that brings us on. We love life so much, time flies by so fast. And now, oh, how I want time to slow down. Slow down. Well, for Jacob and for Rachel, this journey together, it all begins in love. Next, they learn that the journey would take them through life. The journey through life and all of its ups and downs. Now for Jacob and Rachel, they would immediately learn trials and struggles in this journey through life. But through it all, they learned that they have to believe in God and they have to trust in him and trust that he will provide for them and lead them on through life. But for Jacob, the storms began on the day of marriage. The Bible says that when the day came, after the seven years was over, he was ready to marry Rachel, that Laban had a big party with all the men during the day, and in the evening, when all is dark, and in the dark, Jacob and the daughter of Laban spent the night together. And then the next morning, Jacob woke up, looked into the face next to him, and it's not even Rachel. Imagine that. Laban deceived Jacob by giving his other daughter, his older daughter, Leah, to Jacob. Oh, imagine what's going on in Jacob's heart and in Rachel's heart. And here now Leah is put in the middle of all this, so it's bad for everyone. But the Bible keeps on saying that even though Jacob stayed committed to Leah, he's married to her now, yet he loved Rachel. And all through the scriptures, when it keeps talking about this family, it talks about Rachel as the one that Jacob loved. And it always calls Rachel the wife of Jacob. And so Jacob, mad at his father-in-law, Laban said, well, how about this? Work for me for another seven years, and I'll give you Rachel. Seven more years? Seems like a long time, doesn't it? Seems like a lot to do. But Jacob would do it all over again for the one that he loved. And so he promised to work another seven years, and Laban gave him Rachel. But as you would expect, now there are two sisters belonging to the same man. And that's never good for anyone. In fact, having more than one wife is never good for anyone. And Jacob learned this quickly. 
because Leah began having children. And Rachel could not have any children. And Rachel looked at Leah with jealousy, feeling bitterness because she could have no children. And yet, look at my sister, who's evidently so fruitful, having one son, then a second, then a third, then a fourth. And Rachel was so upset. And she ran to Jacob even one time, and she said, I'm going to die if you don't give me a child. And of course, Jacob said, who am I? I'm not God. I can't perform miracles in that way. Rachel, she came from a family that was very superstitious and idolatrous. And when you read about the life of Rachel, trying to get pregnant, she was eating mandrakes, which is a, an herb, a flower that has a, a root. And women back then believed that if you ate the root of that herb, it would help you conceive. And so she tries to collect the mandrakes and eat it to no avail. Later on in the story of Jacob and Rachel, there was a time where she actually stole the, the idols of her father, the little gods that he had in the house, and she stole them to carry them with her. And at some point, Laban came looking for them, and when he went to go see Rachel, she put them under a saddle and sat on top of them so that Laban didn't find those little idols. And I think that that's probably when Rachel learned that gods that you can sit on top of are no gods at all. But she came from a superstitious and idolatrous family. She tried everything. She thought mandrakes would be the answer. She probably thought idols would be the answer. She even thought Jacob would somehow be the answer. But I have to believe that Jacob encouraged her. You must trust in the Lord, as he did. You must trust in the Lord, and she did. The Bible says that eventually, in Genesis 30, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her. In other words, she was crying out to God and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. So Rachel learns to cry out to the Lord. The Lord hears her and answers her and gives her the son, Joseph, who will become the hero of all the family of Jacob in the future. But she gives birth to Joseph, and she calls him Joseph because she's got great faith. How do I know that? She said his name is Joseph, for the Lord shall add to me another son. Another son. The, word, the name Joseph, it comes from a word that means the Lord adds. The Lord adds. But Joseph, that name, gives it a future tense, meaning the Lord will add to me. Add what, Rachel? I believe He's going to give me yet another son in the future. Oh, what great faith. Rachel, who goes from idolatry and mandrakes, she has now great faith in the Lord to provide for her, and she expresses it in the name Joseph. Now this is not just the God of Jacob, but he's now the God of Rachel. And Rachel learned not to live through her husband's relationship with God and not to trust in mandrakes or in idols, but in God alone. 
for he alone can meet her every need. And so seven years in the beginning now turns into 20 years working with Laban, who's constantly deceiving and being a crooked man toward Jacob, making his life miserable. But at some point, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, now Jacob's heart is stirred up within him. He wants to take Rachel home. He wants her take, to take her down into Canaan, where he's from. Now that she's given birth, he thinks of, of his family and how God has been faithful, and now he believes it's time. Time to leave Pat and Aram and go back home and take Rachel with me. And you know, for Rachel, Rachel knew nothing about Canaan. Rachel had no idea what it was like to live in Canaan. Rachel didn't know what it was like to live apart from her father. She had no idea what the outside world was like. And so you can imagine, here she is, a brand new mother, connected with her husband on this journey that God has put them on, and now her husband wants to leave and go home with her. I can imagine how emotional this must have been for Rachel. But then Jacob says to Rachel, God spoke to me. He's the one stirring up my heart. I want to take you home. And then Jacob received an answer from his family that was the best answer he could have received. Because Rachel said to him, whatever God has said to you, do it. I don't know what Canaan's like. I don't even know what it's like to be away from my father and all of his family. I don't know what it's like to not be a shepherdess in the land of Paddan Aram. I know nothing. All I know, Jacob, is what I have learned. Whatever God has said, let's do that. Oh, what an answer. What a wonderful answer a wife has given to her husband. Amen. And so their earthly journey continues. But this earthly journey is about to come to an end for Jacob and Rachel. For now we see that God's leading them on a journey, not through the world anymore, but now to the Lord. This journey is now to the Lord. From in love, through life, and now to the Lord. And on their way back home, Jacob comes to that place again called Bethel. Oh, and here's the promise of God. You did it, God. Exactly what you said 20 years ago, that you would lead me on a journey out of this place, that you would be with me and bless me and be faithful to me and to bring me back. And here I am, God. All thanks to you, God. Here I am in Bethel. And now this time, God doesn't give Jacob a dream. God appears to Jacob. It seems that there's something even more important that now that God needs to communicate to Jacob. And when God appeared to Jacob, God reminded him that he changed Jacob's name to Israel. Do you remember that story? God changed the name Jacob into Israel. Jacob the deceiver. Jacob the liar. Jacob, who puts matters into his own hands, God said, you will be called Israel, which means Prince of God, which means God has conquered Jacob, and now he becomes Israel, 
And not only that, but Israel, that very name, it causes Jacob to look forward to the promises of God. And God reminded him right here again in Bethel, I've given you the name Israel, and I will bless you, and your people will become a great nation of people. Nations will come from you. Kings shall come from you. God reminds Jacob of his faithful promise. And Jacob would remember that God would keep that promise. Even though Jacob would not see that great nation, he wouldn't live to see those kings coming from him. Yet the Bible says that Jacob already claimed those promises as his own. As though God had already done it, Jacob had faith in God. And by being called, by being called Israel, it also reminded Jacob to keep looking forward. To remember that this earth is not your home. You're a pilgrim going home to heaven. The very name Israel is a reminder to Jacob that God is faithful, that God will provide, he will make his promises come to pass, and Jacob's eternal home is heaven. He gave him the name Israel. And so God prepared Jacob for this journey that's already lasted for 20 years. And now he prepares him for the next phase of the journey. Jacob, in his mind, he's just simply taking Rachel home, taking her to his earthly home. What he didn't realize was that God was taking Rachel to her heavenly home. Because when they left that place, Bethel, Rachel, who was pregnant again, was struggling in labor. And they had to stop their journey for a moment so that she could give birth. And the Bible says it was hard labor, very strenuous. And while the baby is still being delivered, the midwife said to Rachel, don't, don't fear. God will give you this son. Don't you remember your faith? Don't you remember what you proclaimed through your son Joseph? God will give you this son. And so with that spark of faith, with the labor that she went through to, to give birth to this young little boy, the son came out and God fulfilled his promise to give yet another son. But the Bible says that Rachel was dying. And as her spirit began to leave her body, she said, call this boy's name Ben-Oni, which means the son from my pain. The son from my sorrows. Can you imagine being a boy growing up with that name? Always being reminded that when you were born, you were coming out of your mother's pain and sorrow. Well, Jacob thought of that name. He never denied Rachel of anything. How could he deny this? And yet he did. And instead of calling his name Ben-Oni, he called him Benjamin which means son of my right hand. What did that mean? It meant that Jacob looked at Rachel as the one to his right hand, which meant this was my companion, the one I love, the one I have cherished. This is my wife. She's been my strength. For Jacob, the sun rose and set upon Rachel. She was everything to him. She was his right hand in life. I will call you Benjamin, you didn't come from pain. You came from that woman who was my companion in life, the woman I love. 
And then we come to our verses that we opened up with and we'll close with. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed. You see that? It begins by telling us that Jacob buried Rachel, but then Israel journeyed on. Before we get to that, let me just say this. What Jacob is now experiencing is probably the greatest sorrow of life. And for those of you here today that have lost a loved one or a friend in your life or even a relative, you know the pain and the agony and the grief that comes along with it. Death is one of the saddest moments of life. And you know, sometimes I believe that we as Christians, as the church, we always talk about great faith. And when we talk about great faith, we always point out the people that have great faith that they will be healed of their disease. Or they have great faith that God will open the door to that new opportunity. Or when they feel like hope is lost, they don't know what to do, they're at a dead end, they have great faith that God will just provide the way and open the door and lead them through. And yes, all that does take great faith. But you know what else takes great faith? Trusting in God in the most horrific, tragic, most sorrowful moments of life. There's a family back in America that I hadn't seen for a long time, Leonard and Sarah. These two were older than Hira and I, but they had a daughter, their, their one daughter who was about 30 years old at the time. This took place a few years ago. And suddenly, out of nowhere, their daughter, who was at home with her father, complained that she couldn't breathe, and she had an asthma attack. And immediately, her heart failed. And when she called out to her dad, she collapsed. And her dad tried to revive her the best that he could. The paramedics came that took her to the hospital, but it was too late. In a moment, in a moment, their daughter was gone. And I remember hearing about that story, and I, I know that girl. Her name was Cherie. I remember her. I remember her growing up in the church, and I just, I couldn't help but be sad in my own life, but just to imagine what their, her parents think. What are they going through? Well, this last time that my wife and I went to America, we happened to go to a, a store. And while we were in America, we didn't run into anybody from our, from our old church. We didn't see anybody. We didn't run into anyone that we knew. But we're in this particular store, and I see my wife talking to someone, and I look, and there it's Sarah. And walking up toward them is Leonard. Leonard and Sarah. And so I went over to talk with them, and we were just sort of saying hi to each other, and then how's everything going? How's Indonesia? How's America? And then she said, you heard about our daughter, right? I said, yes, and I'm so sorry. And she began to tell us the story about what happened, and she's just crying, weeping. And her husband, who's a big, strong man, was also weeping as he's listening to her tell the story. And I'm listening to this lady tell about the death of her daughter. And my wife and I also started crying because we can imagine the pain of it all. And after she was telling us for a while, maybe 10 or 15 minutes about all that had happened, she then said to me, hey, how about your daughter, Ella? We heard that she was rushed to the hospital and an emergency. What happened with Ella? 
And you know, for a moment, I almost didn't want to tell them. I almost felt not embarrassed, but afraid to tell them. I was afraid to tell them that, yes, my daughter was in an emergency, and God saved her, and she's alive today. I was almost afraid to say that because I'm saying it to parents who lost their daughter. But I had to tell them what happened, and I had to give glory to God because it's only by His grace that He did what He did for my daughter. And when I told them the story, Sarah, who's crying, she looked at me and she said, isn't God good? Isn't God good? And I cried and I thought, God, that is great faith. To know your goodness, even in the midst of grief and sorrow. And she said, you know, we believe our daughter is with the Lord today. And Leonard and I both believe that one day, one day maybe soon, we will see her again in the presence of the Lord. I said, amen. Great faith. That story reminded me of another story I heard, I read about. A husband and wife, they had a small child, a, just a, a one-year-old infant at the time, who in one night when they woke up, the child was dead in the crib. Just like that, lost their baby. And it really hurt this family. They believed in the Lord, they were a Christian family, but this really, really was a blow to their life. And they didn't know how to respond. They sort of detached themselves from what they were doing in life and they couldn't focus on anything. They felt like they were just going nowhere in life. And finally they decided to just get away, go somewhere and just be on their own. And they chose to go to Israel of all places. And while they went to Israel, they were walking along one of the mountainsides looking at the city of Jerusalem. And they both saw something that changed their lives. They both watched as a shepherd was leading his sheep down a mountainside, right outside Jerusalem. And as he was walking, he then had to walk through the waters of a stream. And when he got to the other side, he turned around and no sheep followed. They all just stood there on the bank of that stream, too scared to walk through it. He would call, he would motion, and they weren't budging. They were too afraid to cross that stream. And so they saw the shepherd didn't yell. He didn't smack them. He didn't punish them. Instead, he crossed over the stream. He reached down and picked up a little lamb in his arms, and he walked across the stream. And when the mother of that little lamb saw it, she went running across the stream as well. And then every other lamb or sheep followed along with them. And it spoke to their hearts that the Lord, for his reasons, has taken home their little lamb. And it taught them to look toward heaven as our future. And while you're still alive on this earth, it's all about heaven. And so they changed their focus about ministry, about all the things they do here on the earth. What we do here is all for His glory. What we do here is knowing that this is not our permanent home. We are going home someday. And when we do, we will see our little lamb in the presence of the Lord. Do you know the name Rachel? It means little lamb. And I believe what God did for these parents, he also did for Jacob. 
The Bible says that it was Jacob who buried Rachel, but it was Israel who journeyed on. A man who no longer focuses on himself, who no longer focuses on the world, but it's all about heaven. When it says he journeyed, that word journey literally means to pull up the tent pins. And that's exactly what Jacob learned to do. Pull up and uproot yourself from this earth and focus your eyes upon heaven, the eternal home with the Lord. His eyes were on the Lord and his future eternal home was with him and with Rachel. Jacob's journey is now to the Lord. And the hand of the Lord would never forsake him. But one day, the Lord's hand would lead Jacob home where Rachel is and where Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father. Amen. Musicians, can I have you join me here? Let me close as we've often done with these sermons on family matters. Let me close with comfort. Comfort according to the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. They're going through suffering because people that they love are dying, falling asleep, as the Bible says. And so Paul wants to encourage them and to comfort them in their time of grief and loss. And here's how he does it. He reminds them that soon Jesus is coming back again. And when he comes again, those who have died in Christ, they will rise again. And they will be gathered together with the Lord. And all of us who remain, all of us who love the Lord and still remain on the earth, we will be caught up together with them to be with the Lord. And Paul then says, thus we shall always be with the Lord. We, I and my wife and my daughters, we shall always be with the Lord. I cannot choose which of us goes home first, but I know at some point all of us will. And Paul says, comfort one another with these words you will be together in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. My brother and sister Leonard and Sarah, they know that truth. Many of you here today, you have experienced these things and you know that truth. And so the Holy Spirit comforts you with these same words. The Lord is coming again. And when that happens, we shall all be together as we journey through this life, our journey is to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's all sing this hymn together.